I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. And I cannot tell you what a great pleasure this is to be with you, dear Heidi, in my living room under lockdown, you know, over this unprecedented time of craziness and uncertainty that's generating so many mixed feelings and responses. Some, I think, as people are beginning to accept the reality of this and that we are going to be in this position for quite some time, some of the responses, I think, and I'm going to talk to you about it, are beginning to be to mobilize innovation and some creativity and the recognition that, you know, we just cannot sit back and wait for things to happen differently. We have to be part of making them happen. And I was so particularly happy to have you here because I'm sure you are pretty much an international name, particularly when it comes to relational therapy. You are a renowned master relationship builder, definitely, as we know, a motivational speaker, who guides and teaches couples in particular, but also partners, business associates, therapists, families, all about relational maturity. And this is the term that I want to unpack with you. What is relationship maturity? And can we have some, please? (laughs) May we have some of that? You know, because I think that the world needs it for what is going on now. But as you often say, that you believe that world peace begins with the human family and can only be activated by strong, committed, growing, enduring relationships. So even as we see anger and distrust and uncertainty and fear spilling out all over the show, you know, in the world and so on, We also know that somewhere towards the foundation and the bottom of this, there has to be a way of giving people some chance for developing in the context of trusting and committed relationships. And that's been your life's work. It has. And I just cannot tell you how happy I am to be with you. I think our relationship started this way where you interviewed me for a radio program, if I'm not mistaken, in South Africa, and we fell in love with each other. So here is the continuation of a long and I think eternal friendship. And I'm thrilled to be with you today. And the first thing I'd like to say, Dory, is that In relational maturity, we are very cognizant of the language that we use. So there are two types of languages, the language of deficit and the language of abundance. And so the language of deficit would be locked down and the language of abundance would be sheltered in. And the difference between that sense of lockdown and a sense of shelter, safety, Uh, quiet. And so the use, the very conscious use of language is so important. I think you remember that when I went through my journey with breast cancer, somebody said to me as I came to get another dose of chemotherapy, welcome cancer survivor. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
I'm not a cancer survivor because otherwise I'm going to be a cancer survivor for the rest of my life. I said to her, have you had the flu? She said, I have. Are you a flu survivor? And she understood that the language is so important. She said, well, what are you? Well, I said, you know, I am a thriver. I am a person committed to thriving. And no matter what the circumstances, I want to be thriving. And so she said, well, what should I call you then? And I looked at her. I said, you know what? Heidi Schleifer will do. And it made her realize that it is not fair to use the language of deficit when somebody is going through a diagnosis and treatment, but rather use their name. Their identity is not patient. Their identity is who they are. And so, you know, one of the ways in which we grow our relational maturity is being very cognizant and focusing on language. So that was the first thing. And I loved your introduction because I think you are right. We have what I like to call a crisis-tunity. A crisis-tunity is the opportunity in a crisis. And here we have this crisis-tunity of what are we going to grow? What are we going to plant and grow in this new soil? that we are being given now. Absolutely. Now, one thing I want to say is a kind of, and I almost feel that I'm bursting this beautiful bubble in a way when, you know, you've highlighted, I mean, the Chinese knew what they were doing when they made the same symbol for right. danger and opportunity together. And there is that. But right. what I've seen at this time and maybe in relationships as well is that there are huge challenges and some of those challenges have generated stress in the relationship here, anxiety. And there's the other part of me that so much wants to not go there and <laughs> only go with the, with the opportunity part of it, the right. thrival part of it, not the survival part of it, the thrival part of it, which has to be there. But somehow, I also believe, and I'd like your take on this, that if you don't own the story, you can't define the ending. So yes. that part of it has to be leaning into that other side, which is the tough, challenging side, in order to deal with it and not away from it, so that it can be resolved and be able to move forward with the maturity part of it. Do you feel that that's necessary or yes. do we put that whole side away? Yes, you are pointing to something very, very important here, which is the difference between denial and embracing. And my favorite quote, I think you may know it, is most people don't know that there are special angels, angels whose only job it is to make your life uncomfortable so you won't fall asleep and miss it and so the angels of discomfort are right here and of course as you say wisely we must embrace the discomfort in the service of waking up in the service of our life and there i like to make the distinction i don't know if you've read the book by david hawkins called power versus force. 
in that book, David Hawkins has measured the energetic frequency of emotions. And he has found that courage is in the middle there with 200 megahertz of energy. And underneath are fear, anger, grief, apathy, shame. And each one of them has less and less energetic frequency. Above the courage line, there is willingness, neutrality, reason, joy, love, and ultimately enlightenment, which has the most energetic frequency. And people who live at that level are the ones where thousands come to sit with them just to be in the presence of their energetic frequency. And what I'm saying here is that it behooves us to embrace these angels of discomfort above the courage line. Underneath, we would be acting from fear, from anger, from confusion, from grief. Not that we don't feel them, but how we act is above the courage line. And David Hawkins says, above the courage line, we are in our power. Under the courage line, we use force. And we can see that in some arenas, and in our country for sure, force is what's being used so that even our country seems to be under the courage line. And it really is important for us to say, hey, let's together go above the courage line where we are in our power. So, Haley, I think this is so important to think about in terms of, as you say, the world generally and behavior towards each other, just in these distinctions and how to behave. What I'm interested in, in tapping into you, is how you translate doing that. How do you do it in action? most especially in couples, maybe generally the things that serve um, to as signs of relational maturity, the journey of relational maturity, the kind of depth of connection that is manifested when one understands and behaves in the way that you've outlined. So I think that couples need some of that roadmap right now i think they always do and instead of they we we always do we need to be reminded you know of it but maybe particularly now maybe in survival your term was so beautiful shelter shelter instead of lockdown there's still the thing of maybe being with this person perhaps with unsaid issues that have made the space between them murky and not clean space as I know you talk about and here they are whether it's seen as a protection or a shelter or an inability to escape they're there and they're facing each other and so some of the skills that I know you highlight in all of your classes need to be reminded of and highlighted again. Great. So, you know, the first thing I want to say is that there's a guiding, a core guiding principle. And the core guiding principle is that it's very natural for all of us couples to enter the survival dance. And in the survival dance, we're having a power struggle. I'm right, you're right, I don't accept what you're saying, you don't accept what I'm saying. 
the survival dance. And the survival dance makes us cope in isolation. And as couples, we cope in isolation till we know what else to do. And so particularly when we're sheltered in, in the way we are now, this coping in isolation becomes stronger. And that's under the courage line. It is when we are in force. What should we do? And so what Yumi and I, my husband and I, have been teaching, as you know, are three invisible connectors. What are these invisible connectors? And the embrace of these invisible connectors shifts everything. It helps us go from force to power, from survival to life in connection. So here they are, the three invisible connectors. One is our responsibility for the quality of the space between you, between us. So you and I have taken responsibility for the space between us and we put so much joy in it when we meet. You know, you tell me that my smile is too big for my face. I tell you how much I remember that we met so long ago and have become friends eternally. You and I have over the years put enormous goodness, kindness, love, excitement, appreciation, admiration into the space between us. We've taken responsibility for the space. And when we don't take responsibility for the space, it pollutes automatically. And what's very important to know is that the space between the couple is the playground of the child. And so our responsibility for the quality of that space is enormous. And so we really know palpably what that space is like because we can go to friends who love us and they go, hey, Dory, hey, Heidi, we love you. And yet they've had a big fight and we can palpably sense the toxicity in the space. So becoming aware that there is that space, that there is that playground for our children, that we live in that space and learning the skills of making it sacred, making it safe, making it fertile. That's the first invisible connector. It's invisible, yet it's palpable. And as couples, it behooves us to learn how do we enrich our space and clean it. Sometimes it's so polluted, we can't even feel our love for each other anymore because it got buried under so many layers of pollution. And so the first thing to know is that it's very natural to pollute the space, but it's also our responsibility to clear it. So that's one invisible connection. we move on to the others, which I can't wait to hear, I also don't want to lose what you refer to as the skills that you need to enrich that space and to keep it clean. Can you refer... A little bit to those skills. Yes, definitely. I would like to say the other two invisible connectors because they give us the skills. The second connector is a bridge. And couples have that bridge because, you know, people who fall in love are incompatible. They're so different from each other. You know, the grandmother of a friend used to say, if the two of you are the same, one of you is superfluous. (laughs) We are very different people. And so that bridge is there for us to cross it and learn who our partner really is. And there, the skill that I'm going to talk about is the art of hosting. How do I take you into my world? 
the art of visiting. How do I come to your world and learn you with new eyes? And the third invisible connector is our capacity to have an encounter. And the encounter is that magical time when we feel so together that there are no more boundaries. It's magic, it's togetherness, and we all know that space. We are accidental tourists there. We don't know how we got in there. We don't know how we got pulled out of there. But that is the encounter. And the skills are the following. I'll first say how these three are connected. When we honor the space. And when we cross the bridge, we create the conditions for the encounter. So how do we cross the bridge? It's really an important thing. And the first thing to know is that you are a rich world completely different than mine. And often when you act and react, I don't really know where it's coming from because I haven't been a visitor in your world. And the only way I can really know you is if I actually cross the bridge, come to you and learn your rhythm, your culture, the neighborhoods in your world. And so the very big skill is, first of all, the knowing that we are two very different worlds and that unless I come to see you and learn you, I won't know you. And so I'm going to give you an example from Yumi and my life. As a matter of fact, you're involved in that example about crossing the bridge, the skill. When Yumi was 70, he got two stents as a birthday present in his arteries. He had complications. And the doctor said, don't travel. And we came home and I said to Yumi, we're not going to travel. And he said, we are going to travel. We're going to South Africa. My goodness, Yumi, we can't travel. We're going to South Africa. Well, for two weeks, we were in force. We had a power struggle. I knew I was right. I would have 100 people behind me saying I was right. I even called our sons. Your dad is crazy. And then I realized that I was doing something wrong. I can't take our children as allies against their own father. And I realized I've been doing that. It's called triangulation. And I said to ourselves, I have to stop this. I'm doing something very wrong. But let me go talk to your dad. And so I went to Yumi and I said, you know, Yumi, we've been fighting for two weeks. How about we cross the bridge? And so we sat across from each other 18 inches because 18 inches is how we can really see the face of the other. We were born as babies to look at the face of our mom and dad really at 18 inches and children who want your attention will take your face and bring it at 18 inches. Pay attention to me. So at 18 inches, we sat across from each other. And the first thing is to simply breathe and look at each other and be grateful for life. And just in doing that, which I call establishing the bridge, sit quietly at 18 inches, hold hands, breathe, be grateful for life itself. Yumi and I started crying because we realized we hadn't been grateful for life itself. We'd been fighting and being right. And so we sat for quite a while till our central nervous system calmed down. Because it's clear now in the neurobiology, the science of the brain, that if you sit at 18 inches and you breathe and you relax and you look with soft eyes, 
you will do what's called limbic resonance. The two limbic systems will resonate together and the central nervous system will simply quiet down. It's called limbic regulation. And so when you sit like this, you're gonna get calm. And so we got calm. And then I invited him on my side. I said, maybe I'll be the first host. And he came over the bridge. And I realized I only had one thing to say. And it was, don't die. I knew that's the only thing that was going on with me. And I shouted it out and he held me and I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed. And then he sobbed with me because in coupleship, both are scared of the other one dying, as you know so profoundly. And so I said it again and again and again, and he held me. And for an eternal time, which I cannot even tell you how long, I cried it out. And when I was done, he invited me on his side of the bridge, and he had said three things that changed my life. So the first thing he said was, Haiti, I'm not a heart. I'm a man with a heart. And in hearing this, I realized that I had done something that I never thought I would do to my husband. I had objectified him. I made him into a heart instead of a man with a heart. The Jewish philosopher Martin Buber says you can either treat another as a thou, you know, divine, just a big soul, or an it, an object. I had made my husband an object. And the skill is to repeat it, but you repeat it only when you really have heard it deeply. And so till my toes realized, Haiti, you objectified your husband, I didn't say, I hear you say, you are not a heart. You are a man with a heart. So while, when I said it, he could feel that I had understood profoundly what that meant. Then he said the second thing. He said, that man with a heart wants to say yes to the question, is this a good day to die? Whoa, again, I realized it's not a good day to die when you have dead. It's a good day to die when you're alive and passionate and you're doing your life big. Then if the angel of death comes and says, can I take you? It's a good day to die. And I realized I was going to rather have him half dead, but there, then completely, then I couldn't lose him. But I realized I cannot control his aliveness. As the woman who loves him, I must support his vitality and passion. So I let that sink in. That was big. I hear you say that this man with a heart wants to say yes to the question, is this a good day to die? And so then he said the third thing. And that man wants to go to South Africa. Oh, goodness <laughs> gracious. Ah! And so then we did something my father used to say. When there are two options, pick the third. So one option was to go to South Africa. One option was not to go. But the third option was to change the whole thing together. We weren't going to go to Zimbabwe. We weren't going to go to Namibia. We were going to go only to Johannesburg. And we weren't going to do all the millions of classes we had planned on. We were going to go and celebrate his 70th birthday. And so we arrived there. And a certain Dorian Weil upgraded us to the, a suite we had never, never experienced at the Hyatt in Rosebank. And a big chocolate cake was waiting for us in that suite, which then made, of course, 
magic for us to land. And that was a part of the third option. You know, I believe that when you really work on letting the third option reveal itself, miracles occur. Because even on the way back, Dory, I don't know if you know that, but the pilot of our South African Airlines plane had been to our workshop and he upgraded us to first class South African. I mean, first class South African was again miraculous. And so that third option could only reveal itself because we had had the courage to go from force, fear, anger, disappointment, grief, from there to willingness and neutrality above the courage line to sit across from each other, 18 inches, breathe, be grateful, and then cross the bridge. Had we not done that, we would still be fighting, I'm convinced. And our sons in the middle, instead of a safe playground, a polluted one. I mean, that is the most beautiful and powerful story, you know, how you moved from something that was just almost unquestioned because it was so obvious in the beginning. It was just, you know, what are we arguing for? This is dangerous. You're not well, you're not going, um, and finished. To a depth of understanding of what this was really about. It was about life, and it was about vitality, and it was about come with me, and it was about celebration, and that, you know, that is where I need to hold your hand and go along our journey. And the only way that you could do that is to stop look at each other, really, really look at each other with those 18 inches and properly, and then begin to understand and cross the bridge from the one to the other, which, as you say, is the essential, essential step in filling up that space with understanding and, I guess, relation, beginning of relational maturity. Exactly, because the relational maturity is our capacity to step out of the power struggle, which is natural. The power struggle occurs naturally. It's energetic. It's our old brain going, stay alive in this relationship. It's as basic as that. Either I'm alive or you're alive, and I'm going to be alive and you're going to be dead. I mean, that's the reptilian brain, our brain stem, really protecting us. But to cross the bridge... To have relational maturity, we've got to mobilize the frontal lobe of our brain, the seat of consciousness, to take some deep, deep breaths and say, what is this really about? Let's sit across from each other. Let's hold hands for a moment, even though it's the last thing we want to do. Let's breathe. Let's be grateful for life and for each other just for a moment. And then our biology takes over. And that's What is so extraordinary is that our biology then has us relax completely. And I I don't know if you know that the brain scientists now call this limbic resonance. When we are resonating together, they call it the brain bridge. Now, Yumi and I had put that bridge there much before the scientists are calling. Yes, the brain bridge. just to ask you about this because it's so incredibly important and the power and the result of doing it is just, you know, kind of mind-blowing and overwhelming for people who have done it and they feel the different quality 
and renewed connection. But when you're in the space, let's just say what a lot of people might be going through now, and they may have not framed it in, I think they see the protective element of being kind of closed off. The lockdown, I'm realizing, is quite an unfortunate term because when you're locked in, it kind of creates almost a natural oppositional force to not to be locked in. It doesn't engender the safety and the reason of why you're doing it. But nevertheless, here are these couples who have been through a lot. Maybe they have good communication and they're connected. And there are things that they have to deal with now. So they know about the importance of understanding and listening in order to keep the space clean and to develop the connection even further because under these circumstances, the togetherness is going to be more engendering than when there's nowhere else to go with the two of them. Those who are in it and having to deal with children 24-7 who are not at school, where that elephant in the room or sometimes the herd of elephants, that hasn't been addressed for a long time, but rather you mentioned the word denied or escaped from. Now you can't go off and have a drink with your friends or play that game of golf or, you know, meet your girlfriend for for coffee or go to work or whatever. How do you even start with creation of the willingness to sit down and have what I would like to call a courageous encounter? It's a beautiful encounter, but it's also to sit and face someone and create that intimate space is also courageous. And you spoke about courage. Exactly. It is as David Hawkins says, above the courage line. It is courageous, absolutely. And I think a good way to start is to be with yourself and imagine, really imagine that polluted space, just what has occurred over the years. And couples will say there's a big wall there, there's a fire there, there's a garbage dump there, there's a big crater there. You know, Couples, as they begin to imagine what that polluted space feels like, looks like, it's good to know the first step of courage to even imagine, whoa, we've polluted that space royally, and to actually even visualize it and find a metaphor for it. And then to build on the inside with the willingness to clear it together, to clear it, and then imagine it as a playground where the children are safe. Because the children have not been safe in this polluted space. And the work can start internally, you know, really just beginning to imagine. And then imagine a bridge. It's nice to go back to the wedding day when nobody actually could say to you, you know what, there's a bridge between the two of you and you guys can cross it. But we feel it at our wedding. We can sense that bridge because we are so excited about the possibility of our journey. And so to imagine the bridge, 
you know, see ourselves in the beginning, in the beginning, and, and see that bridge that can be crossed. And the maintenance as you go through, the maintenance of that bridge, the structure of that bridge, the solid foundation of that bridge that needs to be addressed and looked at and reminded of. Maybe if we go back to the very beginning of what you were talking about now, the crisis as an opportunity, because here you are together with a different kind of space and time, not much else to go, even if you're working at home, facing each other, which can be with joy and embrace and crossing the bridge and reaffirming that connection and creating, I love the playground for the children. Because when you say that to me, at first I wasn't sure whether you meant the child inside each of you that needs to come into the space and play again, like you do in an abandoned way when you're children, or the real children in the household who sense the space between their parents and who are invited into play. For me, it means both. Right. I like what you've just added, Dory, because it is both, actually. My mind always goes to the actual children who live, but you're so right. It's the little person in me and the little person in you who, when the space is polluted, doesn't feel safe, protects, and cannot play. Well, you know, there was that wonderful quote. I think it was Dr. Clarissa Piccola Estes who said, take care of yourself like you would a younger person that you love. And I think that what we're saying is make the space safe for a younger person that you love that could be you because feelings don't grow up. They're just housed in bigger bodies. Or some people would respond very well to say, please look after your children's parents. Please yes. look after your child's mother or father. And that reminds them of what you said right in the beginning and what you always say, that if we look at what's happening in the world, it starts with the child and it starts with the couple. So if we have a chance to go right back and to see the opportunity, huge opportunities of being together in an enclosed space now and to step up and make it not only clean, but embracing and joyful, through courage and connection, we are doing our bit to create peace in the world. And that's what you said. Exactly right. Mm. Exactly. Dear Heidi, there's so many pearls of wisdom that you have offered us, but most particularly the power and the importance of navigating this journey through life in a connected relationship and with relational maturity. And you spoke about your dear Yumi, and you had the pleasure of meeting my late husband, Les, and I know exactly what you're talking about, and the power, sorry, I get quite emotional about it, of that connection, and to please use the opportunity. You know, I say to you who are listening to it, really use it, 
because when I'm finished these calls and I press leave meeting, I have to go. And so if you do have the opportunity with someone in your space where that space has got murky or you can't see through it, I think, Heidi, what you've given us are some tools and reminded us of the privilege and power of that connection. Exactly. And, you know, I'm very touched when I see your heart open as it just did when you think about your magnificentness and the beauty of your relationship, the richness, and the fact that the two of you had the courage to say, we want to learn. We want to get closer. We want to even get more connected. And the reality is we never know when our partner departs. And in this sense, you know, my wonderful Yumi is a different Yumi today because his memory is different. And so I say he's my 29th husband. You know, uh, he's changed so many times in this long marriage of ours, 55 years. And now he's again a new Yumi that I get to love and embrace and get to know because he is a different man now. And so I am really saying we grab the opportunity to know the person we're with, the person we love, so that we can experience this deep connectedness that I call the encounter. And, you know, the encounter isn't just with a person. It's also with music. You know, we can hear a piece of music and suddenly be in the encounter. It's also with nature. We can be in nature and suddenly be in the encounter. But it behooves us really to be in the encounter with the one we love and to, to really grab the opportunity of being sheltered in right now to remember that it is our Christ unity, that now is the time. It's lovely. Thank you for reminding us of that, the power of it, and a big part of the roadmap along the way to make it happen. As always, Heidi, it's been such a pleasure. Oh. And I look forward to our eternity of connection. <laughs> yes, Thank I you. do. Too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I'm Dorianne Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a Jackpot podcast.